Making a no-budget film? It's like going to war. But you're not General MacArthur. Storming the beaches with the force of a hundred thousand soldiers. Instead, you're... You're more like a squad of Viet Cong guerrillas behind enemy lines. Trying to complete an impossible mission using guile and your wits. The odds stacked against you. It's risky, difficult, and dangerous. I can swear to it. I've been there. Oh, well, you know, um, it's allergy season here again. Oh. And so, yeah, it's like every, like, like I, I was in that theater for like two hours and I come right. out, my car has this yellow dust all over it, man. It's, I mean, it was, so, and, and I know it came while I was in there because it was like the windshield was covered too. Right. You know, I would have noticed that on the way. Yeah. So like whatever pollen that is, I don't know what tree that's from, but. Right. That's what we're all breathing today here in Austin and it's well, uh, Yeah, I was going to say for people who don't know in in Austin, Texas, this is this is Austin's version of the happening. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um I don't miss that. It's pretty intense around then. And you you're coming out from seeing the movie Us, right? Yeah. Yeah, and uh we got this cold front today and the trees are just slowly trying to kill us all and um so it was just like the perfect environment to go to a horror movie in the morning which is kind of weird actually like because um i haven't been to a i'm in a theater in the daytime in a long time and going to like right. this creepy horror film you know at uh i went i went at about noon yeah and then uh you know and then you come out and it's all bright and the, your eyes are like ah, you know and of course everything is everything's spooky you know at, sure when you leave a, a you know i have before i left the theater i went to the restroom and um it's kind, of, it's kind of one of those, you know, those long theater restrooms with the, the urinals in a row and everything. Right, and right, the stalls right. down at the end. And I swear I'm in there alone, but I keep hearing this stall door, like, you know, every once in a while, just kind of slamming well, down at the end, I, I, end of the restroom. So I'm just kind of like, yeah. all right. <laughs> it's like, do they add, like, creepy sound effects to make the, the theater more immersive whenever they're showing horror films? It's not a bad idea. Just... Yeah, so it sounds it sounds like the perfect environment to to walk into uh, what I mean. I consider it a horror film. I, some people are calling it like a thriller. I think there is a little bit of a snobbery when it comes to great films and calling them horror. There's like people have this an aversion to it. Oh yeah, like it's it's a thriller. How dare you call it some you know nasty horror movie? Like you know, no way. Right, it's a, it's right. a horror movie. I mean, it's I I. I still don't know if, um, you know, I would say it's uh, like a supernatural horror film, but uh, it was something going on. It was it was very unique. I'll say that. You uh, you just came from and I saw it about a week ago. I saw it right before I started production on the series I'm, I'm working on, which has been which it was a I, like you. I saw it during the daytime. I, I actually because when shooting, there's such a lack of free time that, you know, the idea of trying to tack on a movie at the end of a workday or even even on your day off is, is tough because yeah. you know sleep sleep is a commodity. But I saw it during the daytime as well in one of my favorite theaters, the Arclight here in Los Angeles, in their dome theater. And I actually uh, I, I intentionally like I, I don't know if Austin has them, but at the at the Arclight here they have what they call the dome theater. Like you've seen it, it's sort of a famous Hollywood landmark. But the screen is curved, 
you know, where like the center of the screen is furthest away from you. And then it, and it sort of panoramas around almost not quite to the side of you, but, you know, to the edges of your peripheral vision. And they just show normal movies? Yeah, there? yeah, just normal. I mean, you know, sometimes they'll do 3Ds, but n- yeah, they'll show them just normal films there. Huh, and um, okay. and I and I kind of intentionally bought tickets a little close because I anticipated the surrealness of what I was about to watch, and I thought I want to I want to be able to chase the action a little bit with my eyes, right? right. If, I'm fur- if I'm further back, I could see it all at once, but if I'm a little just a little closer, I might have to just you know track over to the right or the left depending on where the action is, and I and I wanted to immerse myself in that that sort of um, uncomfortableness. Yeah, I did the opposite. Um, <laughs> I, I chose like the, the the theater that has the recliner seats at the draft oh, house. Okay. So I was All just right. kind of sitting back, ordering Bloody Marys, and um, I had a nice BLT. Um, nice. Yeah, it was uh, it was lovely. I had plenty of leg room, and um, it it yeah, there was no kind of um, immersing myself in a discomfort. It was just like uh, well, it, it by nice virtue of the fact that be treated, you know, and just it, it, have a, have a nice uh, good service there. Great, great staff. Right. Well, um, all that. Al- Al- Alamo Drafthouse is actually my favorite theater, and they're opening here in Los Angeles really soon. So, anyone listening who's in where are they? I mean, they have like a lot of them now, they're like Denver, the Texas. Yeah. yeah, it's it's the ultimate theater experience in my opinion. Followed very closely by the ArcLight. But um, what? So, what was your impression? Like you've just seen it just a few couple hours ago. Uh, aside from the attack of the pollen, what what was your immediate? What's your immediate come away from the movie? Jordan Peele's Us. Well, yes. it was um, it was just a it was a very unique horror film. I would say, like I haven't really seen a lot like that. Um, with, with a movie like this that has so many theme and, and thematic changes and shifts throughout the film, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't sort of include some spoilers in order to, to sort of showcase how this film and 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 Jordan Peele's films in general evoke an emotion out of the audience if you don't want that emotion that we're going to evoke from you today to be uh anger if you haven't seen the film yet um you should probably stop listening now because we are going to spoil some stuff is what it sounds like so it's one of those horror movies that has this really strange and new concept that uh, not a lot of people have touched on and um kind of just expects you to go with it you know that that whole like doppelgangers uh people underground thing right right. um when it was kind of revealed it was just uh what a what a bizarre concept uh but um bold i would say in that uh it it's something that i think people would want a lot of explanation for right because of the way the film is made you can't really provide a lot of explanation well, so and I it's think just kind of this odd situation that you're just kind of, it's just there. And you... Yeah, well, and for me, the film exists in sort of three phases. And and I want to preface this by saying they all work together, in my opinion. Yeah. In, f- in fact, last night, um, after getting off of set, I got home, and uh, a buddy of mine whom I hadn't talked to in a while, shout out to Morgan, called me, or t- messaged me, and he's like, have you seen us? Um, and I said, yeah, I saw it last, you know, a week ago. And he, and he just is like, can I call you? This is like two in the morning, right? <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I've been on set for probably about 14 hours now. But 
because I because I was anticipating this this podcast and, and because I just think there's some really fun things to talk about in the movie. You know, we started chatting for about a good hour, and um, you know, he just had all these questions and, he, and different interpretations, and you know, so for me, this movie is able to do that, and it does it in very three distinct manners, right? You know, the the premise of the story, and I think you could just get this from the trailer, is that there is a family um, in a central California town, beach town, that experiences an, a home invasion through uh, a group of doppelgangers, you know, uh, people that look in, in in almost every way just like them, except they're clad in all red with one driving glove on and a pair of gold shears, and their their appearance and their behavior is much more primal than their earthly, quote-unquote, earthly counterparts. Yeah, most of them don't even speak. Right, more uh, they they sort of communicating in a in a animalistic grunt or howl kind of uh, a sound, um, and and yeah. so the f- the uh, grunt. Oh, uh, I thought that uh, that that grunt. Uh, what you're talking about? I was gonna say the uh, the dad. I what's the actor? Um, let me see. Win- Winston Duke. Winston Duke. Yeah, his as um his doppelganger Abraham that just sort of like Chewbacca yell that he does yeah, uh, it, was yeah. Pretty, it was pretty spooky though it was cool it was just like this big dumb version of you that's just wants to kill you and you know you can't really reason with him because he just sort of yells angrily <laughs> right right and and I think I think we could touch on a little bit of the, the, the character choices uh Winston Duke most well known from Black Panther is a is a very massive man. He's a big statured guy. Yeah, he's a big and, big dad. And his character, the earthly version of himself, is kind of a is he's, he's a dad joke dad. You know, he's he's kind of a dork. Right. You know, and, and so they they really downplay this physical stature that the actor naturally possesses and you know, they put him in college shirts and spectacles and he's making dad jokes and he's kind of a geek and he's a little clumsy. So that when they introduce his doppelganger, uh, or what we'll refer to going forward as, as his tethered version, uh, as the movie refers to, um, you start to see the act. You give the ability for the actor to have two distinct characters to play, even though or sides of a character to play, even though they look nearly identical. But you know, for the first part of the movie, what you have is the sense of paranoia between the lead character, played by um, Lapita Nyong'o. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Probably, I don't know. Uh, um, she plays a character who, as a young child, w- walked away from her parents at a carnival and and experienced a dark side of herself, uh, a doppelganger, the the tethered version of herself, in a mirror. Fast forward to now, she's an adult, and that that whatever the whatever has a tra- transpired on that night has left a, a a deep impact within her. And so it basically accumulates from this this growing sense of dread and paranoia into what essentially is a home invasion type movie, right? Obviously, the the people who are invading look just like them, but it doesn't feel so drastically different than, say, if you were watching The Purge for about the first, you know, the first act of the movie. Yeah, 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 where it's just kind of like people have, you know, you've got... um that typical uh, thing where you've just got a nice family in their home when, um, you know, and everything's fine when, when villains come to terrorize them in their home. Exactly. Now, obviously there's, it it kicks off with something of a supernatural edge to it because they look just like them. They are them essentially dark versions of them. Um, But at at its core, it's a single white female. It's uh, the package. It's the purge. It's, 
it's that genre of home invasion. And I would even argue, and we'll get into this a little bit more when we start moving to the second act, it's a little bit of Night of the Living Dead. It's a, it's a, it's a small ensemble of characters who are trapped in a home as invaders are trying to get in. Yeah, right. I could see that. Just that that archetype, that kind of George Romero started back in the day. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So, so you know, you know, and, and it's it's done in such a way that you know, one of the trailers for the movie was um, James Wan's uh, La La Llorena, which is uh, you know part of the Conjuring universe. It's build, 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 jump scare. Build, 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 jump scare. That would be perfectly acceptable in a home invasion film. But I, I, at least from my takeaway, man, I don't know how you felt, but I, I felt like Jordan Peele kind of stayed away from that. You know, he would build th- dread that just never dissipated. It never had that, like, you know, jump scares do two things. Obviously they're, de- they're there to frighten you and catch you off guard, but they're also a release. Cause immediately after that, that tension is, re- is absolved from you. Um, I, I felt like one of the things that Jordan Peele does great is he doesn't ever let you off that hook. You never really get that resolution. Even yeah. if even if there is a resolution to a particularly tense scene, it never, because it's sort of subtle as it comes and goes, you never feel like you get that chance to catch your breath. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, I, that was, I didn't even notice that. There, there really aren't any jump scares in there um, because that, that that's something that... Uh, just going to the theater to see a horror movie, you're going to get a bunch because trailers are full of them. Right. And uh, yeah, like uh, there, there was some spooky trailers, but, but they were, all the trailers were just like really loud, weird uh, sound effects with jump scares. And, um, and and so I'm, I'm glad that uh, us didn't go that path. It's, it's more about the situation. It's more about, uh, the characters and uh, the story and it's it's not so much uh, I'm trying to think of uh, I, just, I mean I just watched it today but I'm trying to think if there were any <clears throat> just kind of cheap jump scares and I really I, I can't place any I don't think there were no there's even a scene where yeah. um, you know the tethered you know are surrounding the house and you fully and, and at one point you see the actors uh, start to back up towards a window and you just anticipate that like slam against the window and scare you moment yeah and it never really comes you know, you might have loud sounds, but they're never that like it builds and, and then it climaxes. Just it happens and then it keeps going, and you never really catch your bearing until there's a moment where the tethered have captured the family, and by their own admission, they want to sort of they want to make it last. You know, they're obviously their their objective is to kill this family and replace them, and it gets into a little bit of how these 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 what we call the tethered or what the movie calls the tethered are i guess clones of the people who live up on the top world of some sort or at least i I didn't understand are they clones are they she said humans made it i I don't know what they were supposed to be but uh, they look identical but they also the, the part that threw me off is they're not they don't just look like them it's not like there's just clones of you living underground right they they move and act the same way as you, uh, so as as close as they can, right? While you're above ground, like so, if you're uh, playing a video game, you know they're they're sitting on the couch, sort of pretending they are at the same right. time, you know, with, with with none of the actual 
well, very little of the actual technology or the resources that you have. Yeah. And yet they're bound by your movements because, because and this is why they're called the tether because they are sold as tethered to yours. I, I took it as, um, that they're descendants of a, of a, a mass experiment. But yeah, something in, like the, that, yeah. in that experiment, they weren't able to, they were able to create a, a separate body, um, but they weren't able to create a separate soul. And so what you essentially do is you you split a person's soul between two ent- two physical vessels, right? And then they abandon them. And so I always took it because I was wondering, like, how many of these people could they make? How could they constantly be making? And, and I just took it to to buy into the fact that the the original tethered clones were abandoned and they reproduced as we reproduced because they're tethered to us. So they would create the same beings that we're creating and they would match them in the same way forcefully without will, without will, you know, uh, the, the power of willpower or control. Yeah. Yeah. That, that part, um, it, that's, that's what I was saying where, uh, why I would say this is a really, really bold concept because it, I think once, when you kind of examine it a little bit, it's um, you re- you have to be kind of forgiving with that, you know, that there's these uh, doppelgangers underground, and when when you have a child, they have the same child, only it's like a evil version of it, and um, it was it was kind of like a if it was supposed to be some government experiment or something or or top secret, you know, some weird thing like that, uh, it ha- uh, it, it has a lot of not necessarily holes, it's just a lot of unknowns. Well, there's a lot of ambiguity, and I think yes. intentionally because I don't think, unlike, and this is this is again where I think he deviates from what a, a traditional horror film would do, rather than rest on the plot that created the monster, it's he informs us, and then he moves on because it's not really the point. And I think it's also because, and, and I think we'll get to this some more when we get to the third act, I think it's questionable as to whether or not they're actually monsters. So, moving after this home invasion and, and the moment with the cap- the family's captured, you know, they do this the, the typical thing. They start to individually break free and they start to overcome their evil counterparts. And they run away to a neighbor's house. And we, we start to realize they have doppelgangers as well. Right. And, and, as, and as you start to resolve this, you start to realize the whole world has been taken over by doppelgangers. And so instantly from one relatively intimate feeling movie, you be, you have this global outbreak. And now the stakes just become that much higher to the point where I would say if if the first act is Night of the Living Dead, then the second act is Dawn of the Dead. Well, as well, is it global or is it just kind of regional? It's just sort of happening in that area. I, I, I would certainly assume that it's at least widespread through the United States. Um, yeah, I mean, throughout they, the they film, it was, it was happening in because uh, the film takes place in kind of a seaside town vacation. Yeah, Santa Cruz, kind of Santa Cruz. Uh, I, I have not been to Santa Cruz. Is, is there like a dense urban area too it's, with uh, it's, business parks and stuff? It's relatively smaller town uh, on the coast. It's not like a Los Angeles or like I say a San Francisco. Right. Because they, they did show some scenes of like taking place in a downtown area, uh, right. you know, more of a cityscape where um, the same thing was going on. And well, early, so, early in yeah, early in the movie they introduce, um, and I'm just a little too young to fully remember, but but Hands Across America, which was a uh, initiative in the '80s to eliminate yeah. poverty and world hunger, 
Whereas if you donated ten dollars, you could join hands, and there was going to be this this uh, daisy chain of people from one end of the United States to the other end of the United States. And doing a little bit of research on it, you know that movement was met with a lot of controversy at the time. Uh, you know, with the way the money was spent and and who was included and who wasn't included, and it sort of it sort of was as a metaphor for the naivete of people thinking that something as simple as $10 and holding hands can alleviate world hunger. It's dumb as hell, man. It, <laughs> I mean, that kind of thing happens all the time too. Like, uh, you know, sending t-shirts to Africa. Uh, right. What wasn't there some big goof a while back where they, uh, sent all these boxes of t-shirts to Africa or something like that. Oh yeah. 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 Yeah, and, it's, it's, um, it's... nobody wanted them when they got there. You know, it was like, this actually isn't very helpful. These are just like tacky T-shirts and we've already got right. shirts. And, you know, <laughs> like people. Right. It's, it's usually it must have been some celebrity or something that came up with that idea because it usually is. Well, And that's the thing. These ideas, they sound they sound altruistic on paper. But in the reality, they're usually designed to be they're usually selfish sort of vanity projects at, you know, in, in its ugliest form. And uh, the the idea of duality is is obviously a theme throughout the film. You know, the the lead characters have a dark version of themselves, and I think that even this sort of the constant references to hand across America showcase the duality of what seems on paper to be altruistic versus the reality of it, the complex reality of it. So as we move it into the second act, you start seeing that the world is infected by this and this daisy chain of tethered tethered people tethered others i'm not really sure the, the tethered the tethered yeah yeah start to link up you know and you start and i again this is one of those things where the movie doesn't really explain it but do they do they link up this is how i interpret it if hands across america you had to pay ten dollars to be included in this chain my interpretation was if you killed your your top world counterpart you got to join the chain yeah i think you're right that's what it looked like in the film so you start to see people this lines, you know, because once they once they join the line, they just stand there. Yeah, you know, they, they don't actually ever do anything further. It's not like it's not necessarily like world conquest. It's like in their mind, they've achieved the goal, right? They've killed their other, and now they're doing the chain, world peace, right? Of course, it's not that simple, but that's the point, right? There, the, the 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 this plan that the tethered have is overly simplistic and actually not very actualized even if there is a quote-unquote measure of success behind it and 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 then i think the movie just delves straight up into surrealism uh lapita's character starts to creep down she she tracks herself back to the original fun house that she saw she initially saw her evil self on as a child and goes down this what seems like to me like an endless corridor of stairs to the yeah. point where it, the movie takes on a sort of a dreamlike aesthetic. Because the funhouse is kind of like a hall of mirrors kind of thing. Right. Uh, which is pretty cool because um, at the draft house, they, they always put together these little video compilations when you go see a film there. So if you show up kind of early, uh, you get to watch some fun things. And they'd had this one that was called uh, 10 Times Jordan Peele Went Horror. Or ten times Key and Peele went horror. Key nice. and Peele being the the comedy show that Jordan Peele was in. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, 
they had this sketch. I don't know if you remember this, where it's it's uh, like a detective has chased a serial killer into like a hall of mirrors. Okay. And he's going, um, you know, and there's, th- it's, it's, uh, oh God, what movie is that referring to? It's, it's where he, he's, uh, he's got his gun and he's in the hall of mirrors and the criminals reflected all around him. Uh, Enter the Dragon? Does Enter the Dragon have that? Enter the Dragon definitely has the, the, the hall of mirrors uh motif in it and and han is just kind of reflected all in there and and bruce lee has to figure out which one is really him uh yeah yeah yeah. well yeah because he's looking for the bad guy and he sees like multiple bad guys and the guy's got like a claw hand he scratches yeah that's that's han he was yeah (laughs) i remember his name (laughs) (laughs) he's the claw guy yeah you remember what uh action jackson told him it's one of my favorite lines in a kung fu movie ever no <laughs> he's like he he's got him there and he's like showing him he's got his hostages and everything and he's got this claw and uh jackson just stands up and goes man you're like some shit out of a comic book <laughs> it's, just like, it's so awesome uh, that guy was cool uh but uh yeah it's that that whole kind of thing of the villain is reflected in the mirror and the hero has to figure out which one is which and um there was a key and peel sketch uh, where, you know, it, it was that same thing. And, you know, Ooh, which one am I? Am I, am, is, is it me? Am I the real one? And of course he, you know, he just accidentally gets caught and the guy starts like, it's obviously you. And he's like, but is it? <laughs> you know? Right, right, right. But, uh, they showed that before the film. And then the film has this hall of mirrors thing, which was kind of cool because, uh, that's, that's something I like about uh, Jordan Peele. Uh, the two horror movies he's done so far is you can see like some of those uh, Key and Peele, um, that style, you know, right? It's still there. I think that's fantastic. I think, I mean, just just the weird. I mean, think about how many of those Key and Peele sketches were just super weird, man. Just full of like screwball characters that right. just kind of exist in their own with no explanation uh sometimes more than one like well it's it's the act of absurdity you yeah, know total and absurdity it, and and you start to see that in a lot of cinema um that comes from minorities these days which you never really would see before right um if you look at a show like the, the if you look at the series like atlanta for example or really anything donald glover does right okay you, just just dipping deep into the world of surrealism but but marrying it to the to the um, the earthiness of of urban and city and minority life, which creates a really interesting dynamic. Like, what is more real and bound than growing up poor as a person of color in the United States, dealing with racism, dealing with bigotry, whatever? Right. A lot of the, a lot of up these upcoming artists are expressing that sentiment through surrealism and absurdity. And I think that, that that feels very much the direction that Jordan Peele is coming from also. There was a, a, a minor amount of uproar recently where someone asked him, would you ever have a non-black protagonist? And he said, I, I just don't think so. I was like, I think going forward, I would uh, my characters will typically be black, right? Makes sense. Uh, yeah. I mean, you, you write what you know and you write from a perspective that you understand and and frankly speaking, there's plenty of movies where, where the antagonists are white. So why, why would there be the pressure to do so? And just because you're starting to achieve um, mainstream success, right? There's almost like the, and, and, like there's almost like there's the expectation that, hey, 
everyone likes you now, so you've got to make movies for the masses. And from his perspective, he's like, this is a movie for the masses. It just happens to have black protagonists. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think yeah. part I think part of what totally. is you know you saw that's, that with the it's not a a black movie for black right. people. There's no I mean that that's that's insane. Who's who's doing this? Who are you? What are you watching? Where they're making this uh, kind of thing? Oh, uh, the Twitter for the Twitter. I mean they're, they're out there. You know what it reminds me of? Um, who uh, what was uh, what's it been like ten or fifteen years now since uh, Spike Lee did uh, Summer of Sam? You remember that movie? Yeah, oh, yeah, really cool yeah, movie yeah, about uh, just kind of living in New York during the uh, the Son of Sam uh, murderer before they caught him. Or right. they caught him? Yeah, they caught him. That's right. It's the other one they didn't catch, the uh, Zodiac. Yeah. Uh, but, oh, uh, yeah, Zodiac. Ted Cruz. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but, but he, so <laughs> I saw, I was watching TV and I saw this, he was given this, um, not like a press conference. I mean, that's what, what the president does. I, would, I guess, yeah, press conference. Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah, press reporters conference. were there. He was standing in the front. That's a press conference. It was one of those. Whatever you call that, Spike. Yeah. Spike Lee was answering questions about his movie to reporters. Whatever that's called. Uh, he so this reporter asks him um, something. It, it's been a while, but it was something along the lines of, "Are you going to make more white movies?" like like you right exactly summer of sam and it's you know uh, so can we expect more white movies from you and his reaction was uh i mean i'm I'm not quoting him or anything but i i just remember him kind of getting real hot and going like what the fuck is a white movie like what are you talking about right uh you people are insane i do remember him saying that like you people are insane (laughs) and it's true man this is this this, of like yeah oh spike lee made summer of sam and it's not you know do the right thing or school days so it's a white movie now and it's just like stop just fucking stop what are you doing we we need american films that show the you know all, all of the different cultures we have here um uh I, okay great there, there's a there's a scene in the film uh what, what's the song they're listening to uh, i got five on it who is that yeah yeah oh i looked it up uh, i'll look it up Let's while you're see, talking uh, about it I'm, well i'm in front of a computer uh, it, Lunes, it's like, it's uh yeah. Lu- yeah, Lunes. yeah and uh they play it, and and we all we all know that song. We all remember it. And the dad's like, "This is a classic," you know. And it's how how many American right. films do we have out there where you know a really cool rap song from the mid '90s is called a classic? And, and right, that's what's exactly. happening. That's that's cool. I like that. That like we get to now finally get. We're at a place where because that's truth. That is a classic. It's not all Beach Boys and Rolling Stones anymore, man. It's it's all of it. And there, but there there is a but I, funny that you mentioned. Um, so 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 it's funny it's funny that you mentioned that because there is a scene, um, you know, as as we're transitioning from the from the uh, first act of the film into the second act of the film, and we're starting to realize that this this issue of the doppelgangers is is now a a, a global right. phenomenon. Where uh, Elizabeth Moss's character Elizabeth and her Moss, husband yes. are in, yeah, they're in their upper upper class home that's fully automatic. It's got uh, Alexa or whatever, you know. Oh, they call it Ophelia. Uh, voice automated. Yeah. Ophelia, yeah, right. And and it's funny because uh, you know as their doppelgangers start to attack them, um, it switches from the Beach Boys. Is it? Is it Beach Boys? As, as, to? Yeah. 
Yeah, they listen to Beach Boys, oh, uh, yeah, Good Vibrations. Right. <laughs> the, uh, you know, like, and which is which is a tactic that a lot of horror filmmakers will use, right? They'll put like a very upbeat song over uh, a very horrific murder you know, scene. Good I mean, Vibrations. Uh, I Rob's, Rob's up. That'd be kind of a spooky song, actually, man. There's, there's something about that one that's just a little off, you know. I, well, I, mean, I think Brian Wilson, I think that was I mean, that was probably somewhat well, Brian intentional. Wilson, he had that kind of weirdness about him, you know. He had a lot of right emotional and mental issues and something in that song i feel like it's it's there you know so really wise decision to even use that song right right but then what what makes it especially a good choice where elizabeth moths tries to call for the police as she's being attacked and it switches to nwa's uh i'm sorry uh body counts no yeah it it switches to nwa's uh, fuck the police yeah ah that's right i just saw i just (laughs) saw body count too Played Os- yeah, so played Oz. It's just fucking man. awesome. Ice T doing like Slayer covers and uh, I mean, the originals are pretty. Dude, they were, they did they did rain uh, they did rain in blood and they all came out. They all came out in um in uh DOC outfits. DOC, you know? prison uh, oh, yeah, Department yeah. of Corrections. Yeah, ju- uh, prisoner prisoner jumpsuits, which again very similar to the outfits in um in us, right? All the all the tethered are wearing these red. Sort, yeah, of, sort of jumpsuits, you know, mechanics. Yeah, yeah. Makes sense because they kind of were prisoners, you know. Well, and that's and so you know, uh, the third act, you know, has a lot of twists and turns. We don't want to necessarily ruin all that, but it does. It dips really, really steadily into surrealism, and and there's a beautiful sequence towards the end of the film that that could have been pulled straight from Black Swan, right? It's very Darren Aronofsky in 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 choreography oh, and um. Yes. Yeah, the dance the attack. Yeah, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous scene. Yeah, um, but in terms of the themes, you know, it's one of those films that you walk away from. You're like, I think people walked into the film having seen Get Out, and expected and overtly like this is what it feels like to be black in a white America. And I thought this film had broader themes that included that, but weren't solely that. You know, there was no white antagonist in this film. Right, the antagonists look just like you. They were yeah, you. It's just everybody, you know. And and it, and even when you get to the tw- the twist ending of the film, um, I think it, it really drives home the point that these weren't good guys and bad guys, and that simplicity of that's represented in say Hands Across America. This film really deconstructs that in that all the characters were shades of gray, and 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 it all sort of blended into one another. Well, they talk about surrealness i i've um for about the last 10 15 minutes now been looking at a google image search of hands across america <laughs> I mean, you got like ronald reagan uh like holding hands with cancer patients um people on the beach and bikinis uh small town folks holding giant flags now here i see now does this count i see this is something that i'm, I'm noticing this the hands thing was kind of broken because a lot of these people would um, put flags between them and the other person and sort of stretch the flag out. So you, you did have space. I don't know if the flag conducts. Um, uh, the, yeah, the if it, like if in this in in the peace, peace energy circuit that the hands cross was supposed to cre- create. Um, I guess the flag is is a conductor. I'm not sure. How does that work? Does the American flag uh, conduct peace well, as, there, there as been, uh, well as holding well, hands? There, well, that, and that's the irony. There's actually been there was a study coming out of um, uh, 
Harvard University that tried several experiments on the connectivity level of the American <laughs> flag. And while while it is actually uh, a con- conducive for some energy sources to be conducted through it, uh, peace, in fact, contrary to popular belief, uh, is not one of them. So the American flag is not a is not a great conductor of peace uh, across uh, across the land. No, ironically, try it. maybe knew? if they get it wet, the water might help. Boy, this, this maybe this, so. The dip sad it, images are some of these highway images where you have like one person every eight feet. Some of them are holding ropes between each other to kind of keep the. <laughs> Boy, people really took right. this seriously though. It's like they did, and and there's and there's this idea. If you look at the characters in this film, right, they're all upper class characters. Yeah, it's very you know very um, affluent. the main family very is, funny. yeah, the main family is sort of lower upper class. Um, but they're all upper yes, class en- enough in to have a vacation home and that they own. Yeah. Right. Right. And there's, there's, uh, there's some very obvious metaphors between the haves and the haves not in this film. And that, in that, and I think it's, it's, it's very, it was a very interesting and very intelligent choice to make the have nots look just like the haves. Because in fact, if we talked about language in the film and some of the characters, only one character, uh, Lapidus doppelganger her tethered which goes by the name red she's the only one who speaks albeit with great difficulty yeah yeah, it's revealed that the that the person who has been who has had the family had the husband had the summer home that she's in fact from this underground world of the tethered and that she replaced her upper world counterpart and took over her life and what and what's interesting about that is it proves that these tethered aren't these mindless uh, drones. They, in fact, have the full ability to be able to speak intelligently. They have the full ability to have the full range of emotions and have a family and have peace. Yeah, yeah, they're normal. They're they're not normal people, but they are humans. And uh, what, what does she say at one point? Uh, they've got them there on the in the living room, and she goes, "What are you people?" And uh, Red replies, Americans. <laughs> That's right. That was That's right. I love that line. <laughs> but so it, it, it early in the film lays out that the people coming from the tethered world, uh, although they have had less opportunity, less privilege to, to form lives that the people on the top world have physically and maybe due to their harsher environment, tend to be physically uh, more superior than their counterparts. And I think it's interesting that the thing that that puts Red in the position to lead this uprising is that is this dance that they, there's a flashback scene where she does this ballerina dance as a young girl because Lapita up on the top world is is doing a dance and so her tethered version is is mimicking yes. it. And there's a, there's a scene where she says, and to think, none of this would have been possible if you hadn't danced, you know, and and again, would the would the original character would she have been able to do that kind of dance? Would she have had the physical prowess that the girl who had grown up, who had spent at least you know the first eight or nine years of her life in this very harsh environment, was able to cultivate? Yeah, who knows? I you know I'm not a hundred percent sure that what you're saying that they are. Um, physically superior to their, um, you know, upper world counterparts because uh, mm-hmm. it, it could just be that they are not 
they've been training for this. They're not afraid. That's Could the be. other thing. I mean, there, there's something uh, very different about these the, the mind of these people. Uh, I mean, because there's a part in the film where one of the um, the tethered one of the one of the red suit people dies, and mm-hmm. is kind of you know dying in a very 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 broken body dying and and still trying to attack the other person and kind of laughing the whole time like there's something uh about the, the right minds. right and I, I think uh yeah very when driven. You have a person that's terrified you know doesn't want to die that was just having a normal night uh i mean you get that one guy played by tim heidecker that's just like he's in his little comfortable chair you know uh just getting drunk and just chilling and you know he's not ready for a fight when when it comes you know whereas these underground people have been preparing for this and uh you know e- eating eating lots of rabbits and exercising and get by the way what what do you think was the significance of the rabbits do you get anything from that anything there well well yeah there's a few things um we're almost upon easter and springtime and and you know, there's a lot of rabbit imagery used in, in the sort of the, the coming of spring, and eat, obviously the Easter bunny and yes. things of that nature. And so I think the parallel between an animal that represents, depending on your culture, both death and life, was an interesting choice. And I think also because so many experiments are done on animals like rabbits and rabbits themselves, uh, in in the use of uh, pharmaceuticals. Um, I don't, you know, I think I don't know what the first animal that was cloned was. I know we all remember the sheep. But I think the idea of sort of, I mean, he could have just as easily used rats, you know, the lab rat. But I think that the, the, the use of a rabbit was, was fall into, you know, accomplished the same desire in a more interesting way, in a, in a way that you're not quite used to seeing. And, and also had that sort of spiritual aspect to it as well. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I know it's pretty creepy when they uh, showed the... Uh people at the amusement park eating their hamburgers and french fries and down below the, <laughs> their their doppelgangers are just feasting on live rabbits you know <laughs> just like okay that's yeah there, there was I, I see i don't know about that um the rabbit representing life and death or anything uh but uh maybe just the rabbit representing abundance but the same thing over and over you know, whereas in America up here, uh, we have that level of abundance. We are, we're never hungry. We, we always have, I mean, not everybody, not, you know, there's obviously hunger in America, but, um, there's also obesity in America and there's lots of variety and things you can eat. And and then that the, um, you know, they wanted to show that down underground, our doppelgangers are not starving. They've also got plenty to eat. It's just only rabbits and live rabbits so i don't know it was a weird it was a weird choice right. but it was creepy i think what you i think what you also see is a very clear delineation of have and have nots of people who amass resources to abundance to the point where you know even the lead protagonists in the film are talking about you know getting a nicer boat getting a nicer car you know there's there's, there's a very there's a focus on materialistic things even within you know Lapita's family right whereas down below they are they're feasting on nothing but live rabbit in cramped quarters with like worn down secondhand clothing 
you know what I'm saying? Like, like it, it's so evident that the of, of how strongly an environment can shape you. So much so that when the twist is revealed, you realize that it's not genetic that makes these people angry or eat a quote unquote, unquote evil or whatever. It's it's the environment which they grew well, up in. Well, no, not necessarily. Uh, you know, and let, since we're doing this, let's end just talking about the twist, talking about the film and everything. Um, uh, it might as well explore it. Like that, it might not just be. It might be genetic. Like th- think about it this way. Um, you know, because of the twist, what we have is a normal girl from the top, topside girl, had to grow up down beneath with the uh, the tethered, which are, right, in a sense, sort of these strange, empty vessels that just kind of mirror what goes on on the surface somehow through, mm-hmm. well, I don't know, some sort of psychic link or something. Uh, yeah, they mentioned something about a soul. S- this, this, so, yeah, yeah this, this film takes place in a universe where souls exist. Uh, so yeah, some, maybe a soul link, whatever that means, uh, something like that. Um, you know, so their, their spirits are one spirit suing one thing and the other. So, but she's not having that, but uh, on the top side where, you know, her, her doppelganger from beneath is now living as her, uh, you know, eventually the kid does start to speak, does start to behave like a normal person. Uh, so much to the point that she forgets that she's actually from the underground. She thinks she's just right. a, a a little girl that experienced some kind of trauma and has, you know, and had to had a, had a, had to recover from that, you know. And um, so, what what you have is this strange, surreal environment of all these sort of soulless vessels uh, mirroring the topside, and one child that is not from there that can speak and that can think and that you know just doesn't know how to get back and eventually she has to adapt to their kind of life and everything and i guess like her spirit you know which what what i mean think about that you know she's like a prisoner underground with these people and you know it's said in the film that they are soulless right but she spends uh, well. That, that's what it said in the film that that they have no soul underground, but the ones on top do. They have, they have no soul. Well, they couldn't copy the soul or whatever, right? Right, but right, right. Maybe that's another way of saying like their spirits are broken, you know, because she eventually does yeah. start behaving exactly like them and becoming one of them, and then it's when the topside version of her, who was actually born underground, starts doing this dancing you know, and becoming a dancer and expressing yourself in this way, that's when the underground girl was reminded that like, you know, she actually does have spirit and like her, her broken spirit starts to kind of come back together enough that she starts to devote her life to this um, revolution in which they're going to go up topside and they're going to take over and they're going to make a statement, you know? And so, Maybe it's not. The, I think yeah, it's also it's not, it's not the lack of soul. Maybe it's just a broken spirit, you know. But there is an opportunity for them to become, because they are normal people in a way. They're 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 just clones, right. I guess, or whatever. Well, I think it's interesting. You know, you see this happen a lot where people start to say things like, um, you know, in society when when someone, especially people of color or women or people who are are by their nature, at a disadvantage in life in some ways. This idea of, well, just work hard. If you just work hard, then you can, 
you know, you can achieve, you know, that's, that's the American dream, right? If you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. But you notice that in all the time, and we don't know exactly how long that the tethered have existed, nobody has ever tried a rebellion. And the, the, there doesn't actually seem to be anything keeping them from going up exactly. topside. And, and that's... However, if you've, if you've never known anything but the life that yeah. you're living, then it's hard to aspire for anything further. Because you just don't know. It doesn't seem real. It, it really it takes the fact that she'd had, you know, for whatever how old she's in the film, when she goes down there, 8, 9, 10, whatever it is, she'd had that, that amount of time living in a different society that she knew what she could yeah. get to. Yeah. there. I mean, they, they – I don't think that uh, there ever would have been – any kind of uh, revolution or anything like that. I think they would have just continued on down there going more and more mad um, because that's what, what it is. It's you have this catalyst of a, a topside girl that, um, you know, goes to live down there. And then when she's a, a young teenager, the um, counterpart of her starts dancing and she starts dancing and it just reminds her that she's not normal, that she's not, or well, not a normal subterranean, tethered clone <laughs> and uh she and right. that's when she starts organizing things to get them out of there i think it's really important to understand that the difference between adeline and red is negligible right and that she can never really escape that part of herself she sees it every time she looks in the mirror she can she can have an upper upper lower class family she can learn to speak she can do all these things but at the at the core of it she's still connected to that or the version of herself. And I think a lot of people struggle with that in society. You know, there's the, there's the, the phrase blue collar guilt, uh -huh. right? How many people do you know who kind of came up from like very meager beginnings and they start to, for one reason or another, be it through hard work or, or luck or a combination of the both start to accumulate wealth or sort of accumulate like a better status of position. And they struggle with that, right? They struggle with where they came from versus where they are. And, and maybe not even just where, you know, where they came from, but who they left behind. Okay, yeah, sure. Yeah, so those, those are the kind of parallels that I think are, are laden throughout this film, which but just if you stripped all that away, it would still be a damn good horror film. Um, but, I, you know, I think that the film does a really masterful job of showcasing issues that affect Americans. Within the context of the movie, you can understand that this little girl was shaped in her formative years by this reagan-esque optimism of oh, yeah. america you know but but broader than that more globally than that th just jordan pill telling the audience like these people that look like these murderous grunty have-nots that they are they represent a part of america you know they 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 represent the infrastructure and the foundation in some ways of america which was which was founded and buoyed on, off the backs of people without privilege and without opportunity. That's what makes uh, you know Jordan Peele's movies so appealing. Is that um, <laughs> is is that um, is that they make you think? They introduce ideas that fall snugly within the genre of horror, but he does them in such a way. He executes them in a way that also make you have to really pause and think about what you just witnessed. Yes.
go support great horror films. Go go support masterful uh, auteurs who are out there pushing the envelope and creating something a little bit more Speaking unique. Of, uh, I, think we, I think we all need it. Um, this time I stayed for the credits. What did you think of the post credit scene? Oh, was no, there a post credit scene? I didn't stay for the credits talk. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. I stayed for some of them, <laughs> yeah. but I, I didn't. Uh, I don't know. I just, it's starting to give me the creeps, man. Cause it's like movies end and everybody just like, I'm not leaving. And like you stand up and it's like, yeah. why is everybody else standing up? What's going on? And they're just like, I'm not leaving the theater. And they all stay. Well, this is what I think. I, so maybe I, there was, I don't know. I don't know either. I didn't stay for the, the credit. I stayed for some uh, of them. I didn't stay you, to got, the you got on to me about that but, recent episode about not watching credits. Well, you listen, hypocrite. listen, by the time the union, the union logo started coming up. I was I was piecing out. I was over that. Um, you remember like in old punk bands, that every punk band or punk album had a secret song. Oh yeah, there was yeah. Remember that, tra- happened that for trend a for a while? while? Yeah, a lot of secret songs. Yeah, that's, I think I feel like cinema's kind of caught. This is like the secret song, after credit scenes. You know, they're not secret. And honestly, my opinion is they're not that significant. I mean. I, I most no. every time I've stayed for an after credit scene, I, I never leave like, oh, I'm so glad I stayed. It's just like, okay, they had a little thing there that they did. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, us is fantastic. We like it here at the Grindhouse. We hope that you guys yes. go out and see it, and uh, or if you have seen it, that you've see, that this podcast has. has we, we hope you enjoyed it again. our yeah, recommendation think... and our spoiler-free review of us. <laughs> no, this, this episode was for people who have seen it and while we're at it you see so you, you saw it in the theater right did you get there early enough to see some trailers uh, i saw some creepy trailers today man there's some spooky no the only coming out. the only yeah i mean i saw like your la Lorena, what is it how, which what are you saying I, la Lorena? La Lorena? yeah yeah the it, it doesn't look that good to be honest i probably Dude, i saw it. this trailer for some movie called ma did they show that when you were yeah. Uh, oh, uh, it's like, shit. It's like some, yeah, wait, some middle-aged that woman one? starts partying with high school kids. And she oh, gets, like, yeah. Super creepy. Fuck, yeah. That, that, that fuck. It's like a, uh, oh, what is that actress's name? Uh, Octavia Spencer? Yeah, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, you got it. Man, she's, she's like in her mid-40s now. And uh, she's, it's like some kids uh, get her to buy them beer. And she's like, hey, even better. Uh, I've got this party basement if you want to come over. And all the kids start hanging out there at her basement. And then she gets like super creepy and starts stalking them. And uh, oh, and she's got this awful uh, bowl cut, like, um, yes, uh, what is it from uh, the facts of life? What am I thinking of? Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's Tr- a Trudy Trudy haircut. It's so scary. It's just like anybody with that haircut is in, in 2019 is, is not safe to be around already. Uh, but I don't know, it looks uh. <laughs> I, that that was probably the scariest part of my uh, theater experience today. <laughs> I mean, us was great, yeah. but that Ma trailer, I was just like, oh god, leave those kids well, alone. We'll have to, we'll no. have to. <laughs> <laughs> scary lady. It it looked it looked so silly in the beginning, and then as it like as the trailer goes by, you're like, this film looks brilliant. So maybe maybe we'll watch Ma, and then yeah. we'll come back and we'll chat about how we felt watching yeah, that. So one. That one was pretty spooky. Uh, Pet Cemetery, there there that trailer. Uh, yes. They, sh- they had to show in. You remember? Um, uh, well, they got they got a uh, John Lithgow this time to play the old man. That's oh, you know that cemetery. You don't want to go there. You, you remember that guy from the first movie? Right. Yeah. And um, you remember the, he gets his Achilles tendon like cut from 
Yeah, and it's yeah. a very memorable yeah. scene. They had to like show that in the trailer. Like, don't worry, we're going to cut that old man's foot the same way we did in the 80s. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you what. We could, we, like, just we in could case do a whole were, episode yeah, just on just trailers. Were worried. We're cutting his foot. You know, they had to... Well, they did, there's a pretty there's a pretty significant plot change in the uh, the new version of Pet Cemetery from the original. Oh, yeah. So is I it feel what, like because trailers show everything now. It's that pe- all, more people yeah. are coming back to life, even people who weren't buried in the cemetery. Is that what it is? Uh, no, I don't that's think that's the case. Because like, he was kind of like you know you, you you open the veil, you you crossed you know you crossed over. So like now because it showed oh. like. Um, the dead people rising up in hospitals that had just recently died oh yeah. maybe i just missed that so yeah i don't know like it's a it's pet a cemetery plus zombies <laughs> i've not? heard i've heard some pretty good reviews on That's it cool. so far from from fans so i'm willing to check it well, out for all but, i know um, maybe the original book had zombies too I, I i've only seen the film yeah yeah right what it better have you know what it better have some ramones Cat. music if yes. I don't hear the Pet Cemetery song, or at least subtly, yeah, at least an allusion to it. That's uh, Stephen King movies always have Ramon songs in them. It's a it's a thing. It has yeah. to happen. It's not yeah, same, exactly. But um, listen, we're we're entering in uh, into a golden age of, of horror, and there's a lot. Or at least the horror trailers, trailers yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's good stuff coming <laughs> yeah. up. So. I'm sure, I'm sure we'll get a chance to get back to the movies and check some of these projects out, or we'll just watch trailers over and over again and save our 20 bucks. Either way, we'll have something to talk about every Monday here on The Grindhouse, and we hope you guys keep coming back and giving us your feedback we're, of what you, you like and what you don't up. like. I was, but we're <laughs> well over time now. Yeah, well, all right. Whatever it was. We'll, we'll, have, to, we'll have to save it. We'll, uh, yeah. we'll have to save uh, it for a proper for segment, listening. I think, If you remember what... Dave was looking up, you know, just go ahead and tweet that back to us. <laughs> you know, we appreciate your the fir- In fact, the first person, the first person who marks on our Instagram, uh, the Grindhouse podcast, what I was originally going to look up and then forgot, uh, we'll send you something. <laughs> right. I don't know what. Yeah. It'll be kind of yeah, cool, though. cool. It's coming your way. <laughs> You've been listening to the Grindhouse podcast on the Hands Across America Network. Please follow us on Instagram at Grindhouse Podcast and listen to us every Monday on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher and where all fine podcasts can be found. 